Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm, uh, just for those of you that don't know, I'm Pastor Ben Ogle here, uh, Stephen, Pastor Stephen Mamie's uh, son. They're both taking a little bit of a, a, a breather here this morning. Um, so I got, the, uh, I got the nod to go ahead and, and give a word, a word for you here today. And I'm, I, I got to be honest, I'm excited for it. Um, you, ever, you ever have those, those times in your life where you know, you know somebody, it's almost like you're all familiar with the word compassion, right? And compassion always drives you to want to do something, to think a different way. A lot of times, you're, there's a difference between just, oh, you know, I feel bad for them. There's a difference between pity and compassion. A lot of times, compassion is what drives you to do something. To put, and you know, as us as Christians, a big driver with our compassion, whenever you feel compassion about something, the first thing you should be doing with it is praying for it, praying for that person. Maybe you see somebody that's doing something in their life, and you're like, man, I, I know that's not the right path. I know that's not good for them. Or maybe somebody just really is weighing on your heart. Praying for that person is a great way to use your compassion, to use that emotion. Don't know who that was for, but that was for someone because that was definitely not what I wanted to open with. So, what I do want to open with is what I talked to you about today. I know that we've been talking about end times, right? Pastor Stephen and Mamie have been talking about the end times. And so today, what I want to talk about is our part in the end times. And I know that throughout their messages that they have talked a lot about, you know, what we should be doing as Christians, what we should be thinking, how we should be behaving, and what we should be aware of. And man, the messages are great. And this is a time in our lives where we should be acutely aware of the world around us. Because there's a big peril. The Bible talks about it in the end times. It says, even the people that you think are the cornerstones of the Christian faith are going to be tempted and fall away. That's, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but that, that, that's like, that's, that's big stuff. I mean, I know, that, I know that he's passed, but think of Billy Graham. Think if Billy Graham were to come out and say, yeah, you know what? I, I no longer believe in Jesus Christ. What? I mean, like, what? But I think that's what the Bible's trying to get us ready for, is that things like that are going to be coming up. And I think a lot of it for us is we don't, we don't, sometimes we don't recognize how far off course we get. We think that we're doing the good thing. We think we know we're doing it, but it's kind of like the, 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 the adage of, you know, if you, you hop in a plane and you're off one degree, well, you know, after, you know, 300 yards, it's not a big deal. Go travel, travel 5,000 miles and you'll see what one degree will get you. But I think the problem with us as human beings, and I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that's like this, but I find that once I start to go off onto a divergent path, once I start to give in to some of those negative emotions, I, you know, it's the strangest thing. They just, they just never seem to stop coming. I don't get it. I mean, it's like once you, you, want, you come on, am I the only one? I mean, you start, you start thinking bad, you start talking bad, and all of a sudden it's like it's not just the past should be here, and I just, eh, I'm right there. It's like once I start going, it's like, oh, my word, I'm doing a U-turn. What is happening with this? And you come to these points in your life sometimes where it's like, what has just happened here? Where, whoa, whoa, what, whoa, how have I gotten to this place? I'll give you an example of a story of mine whenever I was, whenever I was younger. I had a friend that lived uh, a couple streets over, and he was, uh, 
he always seemed to have this, this relationship with his dad, where his dad would ask him to do things, and it was always like an argument nonstop, right? None of, I'm sure all of us are like, my gosh, what kind of a relationship is that like? I don't know anything about that. So I was over at his house, and we're, we're over at his house just playing, doing whatever, and <laughs> so here's how the story goes. Um, his dad asked him if he took the trash out last night, and he said, uh, and, and he said no, and he goes, you know that we get raccoons if you don't take out the trash, and there's like a procedure, put the bricks on top, la, 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 everything like that. And he's like, did you do it? And he's like, I don't know. He goes, did you do it or not? You know whether or not you did it. Did you do it? And he goes, well, I took the trash out. Well, did you put the bricks on the garbage can? I don't know. No, I didn't put the bricks on the garbage can. You know you have to put the bricks on the garbage can. And then his response was, what makes you so smart? <laughs> right? And so, like, you've ever been in those situations where, like, you're the silent observer, and you're like, you're like, oh, man, like, you're just trying to make yourself as small as possible. Like, just, just, I have no part in this matter. I've, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not here. And so whenever he said that, it was like this moment of, like, silence where, like, the air is super thick, you know? And so I just kind of, like, like st stared at him, and he was looking at his dad, and his dad, is, his, his dad has his hand on the wall, and his dad's hand just slowly goes down from the wall. And his mom <laughs> comes out of the room and just says, Ben, I think you should go. <laughs> so, yes, I, I, I also feel that I should go. So as I am scrambling to get my tennis shoes on as quickly as possible, I hear like what I, what I believed at the time were the last words that I will ever hear from my friend of, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that coming out of his mouth, is I just, you know, like, and you, you know, the older homes were like, you can hear the footsteps, you know, and you knew that was his dad, you know, the impending doom encroaching upon my friend. So I get out of the house, and all, I mean, there's just like unintelligible, you know, audio that you're hearing from the home as you go away, but it was like at that moment, he realized, oh, I've gone too far with this. I've, I've now crossed the line where I need to, and at that point for him, God bless him. I mean, he did live. It was okay. You know, I mean, we, <laughs> I, we, he, was, we, he made it out of the ordeal, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't, we didn't talk about it, but, you know, I saw him, I saw him later. But. No, but we have those points in our lives where it's like, man, we encounter something. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I've overstepped the bounds here. And so I want to I, I look at the guy we lovingly know is, is Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, right? So I want to give just a quick little buildup of, of what's, what happened to Peter right towards the end of Jesus' life, right? We're, we're right? Right as he died, and then as he was raised from the dead. So, and if you read, if you read the Gospels, Peter is, Peter's a guy that is all out. You, you could fault the guy for a lot, but the one thing that will be hard to, hard to match is his vigor and tenacity to do whatever he felt was the thing to do in that moment. So here you go. You have a situation where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And the Roman, the, the priests bring a Roman cohort, a bunch of armed guards up. They come up to, the, come up to find out who, where, where Jesus is at. They confront Jesus. What was Peter's reaction to this? Well, Peter, who had a sword on him, pulls out a sword and he takes off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now let me just put it in the context 
If you're cutting off someone's ear, I doubt that uh, there's no reference that Peter was an expert swordsman throughout the Bible. He was a fisherman by trade. I'm willing to guess he was going for the head and missed, right? <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just, maybe, perhaps. But what was Jesus' response? Corrected Peter. Peter put the sword away. That's not what we're doing here. This is not who we're opposing. You have, you're fighting the wrong battle. Heals the servant's right ear, which b- blows my mind of like, you know, and then do you think the servant, like after they like arrested Jesus, he's like, whoa, whoa, can, can we rethink this for a second? Like, are we sure we're doing this right? Like, we... anyway, so Jesus gets taken. He's interrogated by the high priests. He's beaten. And during this time, before this, Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And so sure enough, throughout that ordeal, Peter denies knowing Jesus Christ three times to strangers. And it says that Jesus saw Peter after that happened, and it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. I mean, I've cried because I've been sorrowful, but like, the words weeping bitterly means like, I just, I feel like there's a certain extra emotion added to that. I mean, I, th- I feel like that's the, the tears are coming out, the snot is coming out, like you were just, you're a, you're a wreck. Obviously, Peter's not, he feels some cer- certain way about some things. Jesus raises from the dead, Jesus comes back and he talk, he's talking to his disciples, and there's a moment between Jesus and Peter where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And it says on the third time whenever Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It says that Peter felt the weight within his heart because he asked him a third time. I would imagine if the Son of God was making a point with me to correct me on something or to give me even, it's like a blended, a blended chance of redemption. Asking Peter, do you really love me? And of course Peter says, you know all things, Lord, you know I love you. But there was still an element of correction to it. And Jesus' reply was then, take care of my sheep. And then immediately after that, we're in this situation where then, we can pull up, it's a scripture that I'd like us to read it together. Uh, if you could put the scripture up on the PowerPoint. It's uh, John 21, 21, and 22. So what happens is Jesus, Jesus is then with all of his disciples. And so it says that Peter's looking at John, the disciple whom got, the, got the, the title, the one who Jesus loved. And so I think, I mean, think of it for this. You, you ever get in a situation where, like, I, you're in work, and you get called out for doing something wrong, and you get corrected, and it's, like, corrected in front of everybody else? And, and then, but, like, immediately, what is your first thought? Like, you're picking out other people in the room, like, well, they better get what's coming to them, too. Right? And that doesn't always happen, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I think this was kind of the situation because then Peter sees John, and he's obviously feeling something because he just got asked three times, Peter, do you love me by Jesus? And so it says this, it says, then Peter sees John, it says, so Peter seeing him, who is John, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
To put it in perspective for Peter, Peter doesn't know what the future is going to hold. To Peter, this is like the, the, this is the ultimate experience in his life. This is kind of his end times. He doesn't know when Jesus is coming back after this. In fact, if you read the Bible, a lot of those disciples in the early church, they thought, I mean, we're talking days till this, 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 this second return comes. I mean, later, whenever you read the book of First and Second Peter, you see that he kind of changes his approach. Well, you know, one day is a thousand years to the Lord, and one thousand years is one day. But the point was, is Peter's feeling like, my gosh, this is coming down to the wire here. And so what is his reaction was, he wanted to be concerned about other people. But not the concern with, oh, well, I just, I, I hope all is well, and I'm just checking on you to make sure. Think, No, 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 no. Peter's kind of like, yeah, well, what about him? And God's, Jesus' response is very interesting where he says, look, what does it matter? What, what if I want him to be alive until I come back? What is that to you? You follow me. And here in the end times, I think what we need to be aware of is that last, those last three words, you follow me. Because if I look at our culture today, I look at the American culture and I look at everything, our culture is one that we have shifted to where everything is important to us. Everything within our purview is something that we should have a feeling, a judgment, or a thought towards. We see somebody in the news. Well, where do they stand on the political issues? Who do they support? What are they saying? What have they said? And what have they said for the last seven years on their Twitter? Well, do I agree with what they say? What could have they done differently within their life? Are they wearing a mask? But we see that we're encouraged whenever we find anything that is off of what we feel it should be. We're encouraged to show our rage. We're encouraged to voice our displeasure. We're encouraged to cast the judgment. We're encouraged to be open, open to all truths, but we should vehemently oppose the ones that we don't believe in. How does that work? I mean, honestly. We're encouraged to find our own truth. We're encouraged to shame those who we feel deserve it. Begin civil discourse where we feel it necessary. The last thing our culture ever encourages us to do is to look in a mirror and offer all of that wild examination on ourselves. And I think, encapsulating John 21 and 22, I think we're, I think we're looking at almost kind of like the, an, early, an early prototype of social media. Peter was concerned with everything else. Who, who, what, what, what are the rest of them going to do? What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Jesus said, forget about all of them. You follow me. And I think for some of us, what we need to understand in this life, none of us are dealt the same hand. None of us are dealt the same hand. It's easy for us to look at somebody else's life and want the things that they have. It's easy for us to look at somebody else's life and say, well, I wish I had it that way. I wish that had happened to me. I wish I didn't have, it's easy to do. But the, different, it, the thing that's beautiful about God is he knows that. 
He knows that each one of your lives, your experiences that you've gone through, the family that you were born into, the job that you have, the problems that you face, the situations that reoccur in your life, God is aware of each one of them. And I will promise you, none of them are the same among any two people. The beautiful thing is, you might say, well, well, yeah, sure, it's easy for them to live their life and live it for God, but it's harder for me. You don't know what it's like. God does. And the only thing he requires out of us is faithfulness. You see, the world is not balanced. Nothing in this world is balanced. But God does bring a sense of balance that he says, it doesn't matter what your life is. All I'm asking you to do is to be faithful. And I think that's the encapsulation of what Jesus is telling Peter. I don't, who cares what his life is like? What are you doing? But that's the struggle that we have. Our society is telling us to be outward focused, to look at everything, to believe in all these different things, to have arguments about all these different things, to have these, to have things that we say, well, these are my standards and they can change at any given time. And I'm going to argue against any, we want to judge everyone else around us except ourselves. And it's a dangerous place to be. Because I'm telling you this right now, I'm telling you this right now, you want to know how you end up so far off where the Bible says that, look, some of God's chosen, his elect, are going to fall away. It happens one degree at a time. It'll happen to you one judgment at a time. As we change our thoughts, our ideas, to be focused on everything else around us except ourselves. Now, look, don't get me wrong. God tells us that we should use some sound judgment, but we need to use his judgment, not our own. And I don't know about you, but as I have read the Bible and gone through it, I found out that God's sense of justice is not my sense of justice. There's two very different, very different levels that it comes in on. I was having a, I had a conversation with a, uh, um, someone, they were, we were talking about God as actually a lawyer. My gosh, interesting conversation to have with, about God with a lawyer, right? So, but we were, he, he had a question where he was asking, he said, so what about, what about people that, that don't, that haven't really had a chance to know about God like you or I? I mean, you or I, we're, we're in America, we've heard about God one way, shape, or another. What about people that are in this earth that haven't had that same opportunity? How does, God, how does God judge them? What if they die and they've never really had the opportunity to accept Jesus? And I said, well, you know, that's a, that's a good question. And I said, you know, if you read in Romans, I said, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a, a mention to that, you know, that the people that, aren't, that don't know about God's law, they become a law unto themselves. I said, but... I'd rather just, I'd rather kind of ask a different question. I said, um, I said, whenever you prepare for a, a, a case, do you ever go try to find out who the judge is ahead of time? And he says, well, yeah, absolutely. And I go, I imagine it's because if you know who the judge is, you're going to present your case differently. And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, I know which judges are hard on certain things and which judges are softer on other things. I know how they interpret the law, and I know how they will hand out a judgment based on what I say. And I said, and I asked them, you know, have you ever, you know, what are some cases, you know, have you ever, like, had a change of a judge at the last minute? And I just asked them, you know, have you, what did he change up? He gave some really interesting 
examples of how he's altered what arguments he would even present based on what the judge, which judge was over the case. And I said, so here's the thing. I said, I don't have the exact answer to tell you exactly precisely how that sense of justice works with God, but I can tell you I do know the judge. And I can tell you I know that the judge chose to set his affection and his love on mankind. I know that it says that in the Bible that his mercies are new every morning. I know it says that his loving kindness is everlasting. I know that it says that he will deal with each man righteously. And I know that it says that he is able to save to the utmost. That means to me, man, I love that scripture where it says the full content, he's able to save to the utmost. It says a a battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It's like, man, if God, if if there is an, if there is a sliver of hope for that person, God is going to keep that door open as long as possible beyond my understanding of what it should be. You know, a funny example, we grew some, some sunflowers at our house, and we had that uh, storm a couple weeks ago, and one of our biggest ones, I mean, these things were huge. I never knew sunflowers are giant. The biggest one fell over and snapped, and so I'm out there trying to tie them back up to get them stand up, and I'm looking at this big one that snapped, and I'm thinking, there is no, I, I'll tie it back up, but there's no possible way this thing is going to live. No possible way. I mean, Tied it back up, put it up. Here, two weeks later, that thing is still living. <laughs> it's like, man, if I didn't give this thing a chance, it would have died. But anyways, I told him, I said, I know these things about the judge. So while I can't give you the exact answer, I know how the judge makes decisions. And I can rest in that. He goes, I never thought of it like that. That's really interesting. And I think for us, some of us, we go around this world and we want to place judgments on things, but we've never truly considered what God's justice is like. We've never really put it to the fact of, well, am I judging things the way he judges or just whatever I think is right? In the scripture in Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9, another, man, I, this, 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 this set of scripture is just great. To give some context to this, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking to the kingdom of Jerusalem. And if, if you read the Old Testament, man, God is given, people are like, the God of the Old Testament is petty and cruel. No, dude, the God of the Old Testament gave so many chances for people that just deliberately wanted to do wrong to turn around and do right. He tried, man. I mean, he tried really hard. Like, me as a parent, it's like, sometimes it's like with my kids, like, look, it's easy to blow your stack, right? I mean, sometimes it's like, the kids aren't getting the subtitles whenever you're making comments. It's almost like you want to write out, like, whenever I tell you that you should do this in this tone, that means, like, you got five minutes till I blow my stack, you know? <laughs> and God, God put, I mean, hundreds of years worth into that, guys. I'm going to give you another hundred years on this. And they continue, 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 continue. So it gets to the point, here's Isaiah. And to give you an idea, you think, oh, yeah, you know, they were probably just like, you know, they were probably, you know, just, uh, you know, watching some shows they shouldn't have, you know, you know, making dirty jokes. No, 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 no. Let me give you some context of what the, the children of Israel did. They would sacrifice their newborn babies and burn them alive to false gods. They would put them on a metal altar. They would be heated up to the point where it was searing hot and then put a living infant on it for it to burn to death. 
to sacrifice to a false god. I don't think, I mean, like, how level of depravity is it? I mean, like, what, what, where, do, where do you get off to get to that point? I mean, that's one called out example among many of things that they did. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to give you the picture. This wasn't just like little mistakes that they were making. These were big things. And so then Isaiah comes and he says this. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. My first inclination is a parent, but also just as a human being, is, wait a minute, you mean to tell me the person that burned their kid alive can just come back to God and ask for forgiveness and they're given pardon? What? What? But how similar is that to some of us whenever we look at things on social media and we see the news and events today, we look at what people get, what we consider slap on the wrist for their injustices for what we think was wrong. And sometimes we cry and say, God, where's the justice in this? Will they get punished? They just got a slap of the wrist. And here's God saying, well, look, if they just come back to me and ask for forgiveness, I'll forgive them of everything. And it goes, I, I, I think Isaiah set it up right, right there in the next verse to help with the argument. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor, my, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The one thing we need to understand, please remember this statement. God's justice will always be tied to forgiveness. God's justice will always be tied to forgiveness. Isaiah is saying, look, yeah, I know that you guys have done some insane things, but look, God is ready to forgive you and take you back. You just have to do it, and he'll give it to you. He will forgive you. And that's, you know what, that offers the same for you in your life. The areas of your life to think, I can never have good in this area because I have done X, Y, or Z. God is saying, no, 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 I don't think like that. That's not how I think. That's not my justice. My justice is that you come to me and I will abundantly pardon. My justice is, is if you seek me, regardless of what you have done in your life, you will be found by me. I will be there for you. Think of it, in the, I love the scripture in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, it says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then it says, and to forgive us for all wickedness and unrighteousness. That's his justice. And that, what do you mean? You mean to tell me you could sin however you want, you, and then God will forgive you if you come with a pure heart and actually want the forgiveness? Yes, absolutely, that's God's justice. And I said, I don't know. I, uh, that's a little much for me to get. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should put a little more weight on the blood of Jesus of how powerful it is and how much God has put into that blood. That blood outweighs the most vile human being that has ever lived on this earth. It has. 
I mean, people that you can think in your mind and say, oh my gosh, I'm an angel compared to them. Yeah, you know what? The blood is just as powerful for you as it is for them. And I said, well, somebody can live their whole life opposed to God, doing terrible things. The worst person you could possibly think of, and before their, before their life ends, they ask God in, in all sincerity to be saved and be forgiven, and God would forgive them? Yes, absolutely. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, his ways are higher than your ways, and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And again, I think sometimes we devalue how much power is in the blood of Jesus and how important forgiveness is tied into justice. And God, I think, you see, Jesus even tried to make this point clear to us where he says, look, Jesus said, look, if you, whenever you pray, and this is in uh, Mark 11, uh, 20, I think it's 20, 25 and 26, where he says, if you pray, whenever you pray, forgive anyone that has sinned against you so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. And then Jesus makes it clear. He says, look, if you don't forgive people here on earth, your heavenly Father is not able to forgive you. I mean, let that sink in. And I think if you think it from an argument of God's standpoint, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I gave you forgiveness before you even knew me. Before you cared a thing about me, I gave you forgiveness. I sent my own son to give his life for you, and then he chose to die for you while you even hated him. And I wiped out all of your sins completely, no matter what they were, every single last one. And it's almost like God is asking the question, and you mean to tell me that you can't forgive that person for what they did to you? It's a different perspective. Now, I don't know about you, even from a selfish standpoint, I can forgive anyone. Why? Well, because I want forgiveness. <laughs> I want to be forgiven more than I care about how badly you have hurt me. And now here's the thing. Here, here's what I will say. I will say this, there are some people on this earth that will have that pushed to the extreme within their life. They will be put in positions where they have to forgive people of things that you would think are just unbelievable that another human being would do to another human being. And they will be pushed and tested and tried to that point of will they forgive them the way that Christ And you say, well, they, I don't know, will they? I don't know. What was Jesus' response to Peter? You follow me. Even for some of us, the concern isn't, well, I don't know. I, I could never be in that circumstance. You know what the concern should be? Can I forgive everyone in the circumstances that I'm in? God's justice is perfect, and it's always tied to forgiveness, guys. And so in this world, you're going to find out what is our part to play? Rather than executing judgment on everything else around us, maybe we should use forgiveness within our judgments. Maybe the forgiveness, too, needs to be something that you do to yourself. Because just in the same way, you can beat yourself up pretty good. I mean, I'm, I, I tell you what, I've, I've, I've learned to become an expert in that over the years, in making a mistake and making yourself feel bad for that mistake. And I'm talking about like, Making yourself feel bad where it's like, okay, man, I'll just, I'll sleep this off. You know, like, we'll wake up tomorrow, we'll start fresh, we'll be good tomorrow. And you wake up the next day and, like, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, you. 
Oh, man, no, forget it. You know, it's like where you, you are so on yourself for it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, look, I've forgiven you for this. Can we move on from it? I love you too much for you to let yourself treat you like this. Can we move on from this? I have better things in store for you than for you to just beat yourself up with it. My son died for you. My son gave his life. His, his blood is more powerful than this mistake. That's what God wants us to live with. And whenever we have a true revelation of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our life, I'm telling you, whenever you have it for yourself, it'll become easier to execute it towards other people whenever they offend you. Make sure our justice is tied into his justice. You know, the other thing that we, want to, we need to be sure in these end times of our part is we need to be sure that our humility is on his terms, not our terms. Because if the one thing I can look at the American culture right now, I can absolutely say without a doubt, if I look at social media, it is, it is riddled with arrogance. Judgments towards everyone else around it, but nothing ever accepting the blame in and of itself. I mean, even whenever people are caught red-handed doing something, they twist it and make it somebody else's fault that they did what they did. I mean, is that humility? No way. I mean, good grief. We, we learned better than that whenever we were kids from our parents. Say you're sorry. Say, okay, I'm wrong. It's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. I mean, I would love to do, like, get, get a hold of, like, the data on Twitter and Facebook and find out how many times you actually, like, just do, do a, a phrase search for I am sorry and just see, like, how many posts actually come up with that in it. I'm sure it would be shocking how few there are. There's a scripture uh, from another, another prophet in the Old Testament, Micah 6.8. It's a great scripture, man. You want, you want to sum up, like, what, what should I be doing in life? It says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If we could leave that up for just a second. Whenever it says, the Lord has shown you what is good. Now, at this point, the people in this time, they've had the law, right? And I, if you've ever tried to read the Old Testament, you know, sometimes you get through the book of Levit Leviticus, and you start reading some of the laws of Leviticus, and you're like, hold on, hold up a second. Like, wait, what? What is going on here? This is what they have to do? And I think a lot of times our reaction sometimes to what laws are is like, it, it is that. Or like, what, what is right and wrong sometimes? Wait, 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 that's not right. That's, that, that, that's not right. That's not right. But is that really for you to judge? Because I think sometimes we get off on our basis of what we consider right and wrong. Um, I've, in, my, in my job, I've working as a project manager, I've gotten to do some uh, work with international folks, then a little international travel. And the one thing, uh, we, they, they put us through some of these, these cultural, cultural training classes, which just kind of give you a, a look into some of the different business cultures around the world and some you know, very big do's and don'ts. And whenever I look, you know, you go through the class and you kind of chuckle at, at some of it. So there was, there, and I, to share an example, so the, the Japanese business culture is extremely stringent. Like, code of honor to the T. Respect, properness to the T. 
You know, they have, it's kind of interesting, and everything is predicated off the most senior member in the room, no matter what. If there's a meeting, the meeting will not begin until the senior member attends the meeting. And that senior member, trust me, will always be on time. And if that senior member shows up five minutes before the time and you showed up two minutes before the time, you were three minutes late. Doesn't matter your excuse. You were late. If you know that that senior member in their, in their, in their, in their organization always shows up ten minutes before the meeting, you will show up ten minutes before the meeting. Why? Otherwise, you will be late. Well, that doesn't make any sense. The meeting says it starts at 11. That doesn't matter. You were late. See, sometimes we want to constrain ourselves to only what we think the laws and what the right and wrong should be in the world. We want to adapt our truth to what we feel, yeah, yeah, I can get on board with this, and I can't get on board with that. But see, this is all part of what Satan wants to do, is he wants to chip away at what you think is right and wrong and deviate off of what God says is right and wrong. And before you know it, you're believing in all these different things that are just slowly ebbing out over here because, well, that's ridiculous. I don't need to do that. I, God didn't really, this isn't really what, you know what, that was written in the Bible then, but that apply, it's applied different. It doesn't really, this isn't the same thing here on now today. Saying those things, thinking those things will get you exactly into the place of what Paul warned about that there will be a falling away from the faith in Jesus Christ. You know, to give a, a funny example for that, that whenever we were in that Japanese business culture thing, so there was a guy that was Japanese that who had worked in America. And so during the meeting, he, uh, you know, we had these like small breakout groups, and the, 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 guy, the, the, the guy that had worked in America, but he was uh, Japanese, he just, you know, there people are talking, he got up on the table and sat on the table. And I didn't see it, you know, but the, the one guy that was in our group, and he said, you know, hey, look at, look, at the, look at the guy from Japan. And this director-level guy from Japan was just like death-eyeing this guy sitting on the table. And I'm like, well, what's, I, I'm, I'm clueless. I'm like, what, what's wrong here? He's like, that is so disrespectful to do, to sit on a table instead of a chair you either sit on a chair or you stand whenever you're speaking with someone. You would never do that in Japan. And to me, in my American thing, I'm like, well, I don't know. You just sit on the table. What big deal of it? But like to this guy, that was like incredibly offensive. What are, we, what, am I, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is sometimes our level that we want to set on, am I really walking humbly with God? Am I really operating in kindness with God? Am I really... Am I really doing justice with God? Sometimes that's on our level, not his level. And why would I want to encourage us as we close out today? I really want to encourage you. These end times, we need to be closer to God than we have ever been in our lives. We need to be more dedicated that we are going to follow him than we have ever been. We need to be sure that our thoughts, the ideas that go through our head, the judgments that we want to put out, we want to be sure they line up with the Word of God. We want to be sure that they line up with what God's thoughts are. Sometimes that takes a recalibration in our own lives. Sometimes that takes a little bit of humility to admit, you know what, yeah, some of the problems that I have, they're not everybody else's fault. They really are my fault. Sometimes it's 
us forgiving ourselves and then forgiving somebody else. You see, but the beautiful thing with all of this, everything that I've said, it's all encompassed by God's grace. It's all encompassed by God's mercy. And in our lives, whenever we dare to actually humble ourselves, to take a step back, to lower ourselves and say, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll follow your word. Even though it's hard for me, even though I don't like it, I will follow what you want. Whenever we do that, God will bless us. Am I saying that all of our problems will go away whenever we do that? Nope, they won't. But I know that I'll at least have the right backing to face those problems instead of doing it on my own with my own thoughts, my own ideas. I can't tell you how many times, and this just, just happened this week, had something happen that was, I mean, a wreck at work. I mean, a wreck at work. And I wanted to get quite worked up, right? I wanted to get really upset. And my wife, my beautiful, loving, wise wife, immediately said, let's pray and ask God for his help with it. <laughs> you ready for this? So we prayed. Kids prayed with us. <laughs> we prayed. And do you know that within 20 minutes, not only did I solve the problem that I was facing, I also figured out a pro how to solve a problem that we had been experiencing for the last, like, four years at work. <laughs> right? But boy, I wanted to be really mad instead. <laughs> and I was justified in being mad because it wasn't my fault what happened. But you know what? We took a moment, we drew back, and we asked God for his help. And oh my gosh, did I get blessed in that situation. Now, did it still require a lot of work to get done what I needed done? Yeah, I was, up to, I was up super late that night getting work done. But you know what? God blessed it still. And I want to encourage us in our lives here today. God wants to bless you. God is on your side. He loves you with an everlasting love. It's almost like God is waiting in your life for you just to recalibrate to turn back to him, to give yourself over to say, God, look, I'm, I'm done. I'm done giving clever replies on social media. I'm done putting judgments on everything. Lord, I, I, I just I want to follow you. I just want to do what you want me to do in my life with everything that you've given me, the situation that I'm in. I want to do what you want me to do. It's like God is saying, just please, oh man, just, just say that. Oh, just, just please come to me. Please, please. It's like he cannot wait to bless you. It's like a weird way to think of it. It's like a dog at the end of its chain, you know, just like, God, you know, like you ever come across a dog that really wants to get at you? It's like just trying to, trying to get you and it's help, being held back. It's like, that's like God, except with blessings. He wants to give them to you. But it's up to us of whether we receive them or not. And it's so simple. Sometimes it's just saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's saying, God, I am sorry. Sometimes it's making a choice to change the way we talk to change the way we treat one of our family members, to change the way that we treat our boss, to change the way we talk about our boss or co-workers, to change the way we talk to our husband or wife. Whenever you do it, what I promise you, God will be there to grant you grace, to grant you mercy, to grant you forgiveness. Do not let this world misconstrue what is right and wrong. Do not let this world distract you with placing judgment on everything else except yourself. 
Jesus said, the same standard that you use to judge, it's going to be used against you. If I let that sink in, it's like, whoa, 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 man, it's like, whoa, 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 can we, can we, can we reverse a few decisions I've made here, God? Like, we need to pull back a little bit. And that's okay. Why? Because my God is ready to forgive. He's waiting for me to ask for that forgiveness in my wrong judgments so that we can make it correct, so that he can make it correct. God is so good to us, guys. Do not let the world suck you in to being distracted with everything else except you. Remember what Jesus told Peter whenever Peter was asking about everything. What, what is he doing? What is he doing? What is he? No, no, no. You just follow me. And today we may be at those points where you're asking yourself, well, what do I need to do to follow him? It's different for every person. And I think that's the beautiful thing of it. God's able to communicate that to each of our hearts. So I encourage everyone here today, as we're closing out this service, I want to give the opportunity online as well. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, he's waiting for you to make that decision. He's waiting for you to make that decision with all of the love in heaven. He's waiting to offer you forgiveness for anything that you've done in your life with a power of forgiveness that we can't even comprehend. God's love towards us never ends. God's love towards us is eternal. And that's what he wants. He wants us to have eternal life with him. So if I could just ask, with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, I want to give you the opportunity here today to do that. All you have to do is raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. I want that eternal life. I want that love. I want that forgiveness. I'm done trying to live life the way that I think it should be done, and I want to turn my life over to you. You know what, let's say this prayer all together. And this is the prayer that does it. This is the prayer that grants us that eternal life. Say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you are God. You are my Savior, my Redeemer. Now, Jesus, I call you Lord. I ask for your forgiveness. Save me. Protect me. Heal me. In Jesus' name. Amen.